I'm going to start rolling. Do it. Uh, the massacre. Ooh, and then... Missicle. Okay, I'm going to count us down, baby. And a three, a two. <sighs> You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Missing Out. We are the retrospective that's introspective. I am Tari J. Miller. I am Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, we introduce each other to different pieces of medium, whether it be film, movies, television, other stuff, uh, music, that's the other thing. And we talk about it. First impressions, second impressions, red... it's all about having a good time and a fun discussion. Uh, today, <laughs> we're talking about uh, an, an oldie but goodie uh, is Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1975? 19, 74. 74? The internet is wrong. Where'd you pull that from? I believe I got it directly from Amazon. Then they're confused. I know. The the whole internet has led me astray. Could have just wikipedia that. You know what? Could just wiki that right up. But but that's hard. Wikiing is hard. Nah, just get in there. Be like, give me that wiki sauce. Type that into Google. Be like, give oh, me that wiki sauce. Damn. And it'll just take you. It'll know what page you want. Right. And it'll just take you right to the page. And be like, there it is. That sweet wiki sauce. Ooh, damn. Mm-hmm. Damn. Okay. Next time I wiki sauce that shiz. Wiki. Wiki sauce. So, I'm sorry. 1974. Uh, directed by Toby Hooper. Yes, that one you got right. Uh, yeah. Toby Hooper, who passed away just uh, as of this recording, just a couple of months ago oh, uh, yeah? in August. Ooh. Uh, Toby Hooper, of course, too, also did uh, Poltergeist, although there is there's an ongoing uh, argument, a debate over whether he really directed Poltergeist or whether Spielberg basically directed Poltergeist and put Toby Hooper's name on it. Why would he do that? Uh, I guess to give his his buddy a little a little bump. That seems like setting someone up for failure to be like, look at this great movie that uh, that this person did, and then everyone's gonna be like, oh man, tell me about directing that movie, and he's like, uh, it was great. Yep, I did that. Hire me for other things to which I will do at the same uh, level of creativity. Yep. <laughs> um, well, I feel like and I, I wasn't there, but if I had to guess, and if that is the case, uh, it reminds me of okay, a situation with uh, the original, the thing from another world, uh, the one that Howard Hawks produced, uh, upon which uh, John Carpenter's The Thing was based. Although Carpenter's The Thing was really more of an adaptation of the original story. Who goes there? Point being, uh, it is credited to a guy named Kristen Nyby. Mm-hmm. But similar debate exists where it's like, did he actually direct this or did Hawks direct it and just put his name on it so that it's almost like, well, you're you're a student and I'll put your name on this so that you'll take everything you've learned and this will hopefully lead you to your next project and you can apply everything that you've learned. Possibly, again, wasn't there. But when asked about it years later, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but Nivey's answer was basically, well... Like, he didn't confirm or deny, but he's basically like, well, look, if you've got Howard Hawks there, if you've got, like, the master there, 
you're gonna you're gonna tell them like no i'm not gonna take your ideas like i'm not gonna take your advice i'm not gonna take your directions like no you you listen to the dude who's who's at the top of his game at the top of his status who's a master of uh doing the work the way they do the work so i can i could see it being a similar situation yeah i don't think spielberg i wasn't there somebody listening to this might go you are a fool here is what happened spielberg came at him with a sword but i feel like it probably wouldn't be a situation where uh uh Spielberg was like, hey, I'm going to direct this, but put your name on it. I right. feel like Spielberg was producing and he was probably around a whole bunch. And there, I, I assume there would be some some level of collaboration. Yeah. That was a major digression that really has nothing to do with the movie that we're talking about. But yes, it's a, it's a debate that, that rages to this day. Right. Well, technically, it relates to our uh, Hooper's credibility and whether he is a great director or not. And uh, so now that this has been presented, I don't believe that he's ever directed a single thing. And I think that he's been like, just kind of wandering onto sets and being like, put my name over there. And then eventually he just becomes this world renowned director. Oh yeah, it turns out Texas Chainsaw, the original Texas Chainsaw was in fact directed by George Lucas. Yeah. But he was like, I'm going to do my buddy a, a solid and I'm going to put his name on this thing. When Hooper came in at the end of production, the same way that like Joss Whedon is, is filling in now for the last leg of production on Justice League, Toby Hooper came in, removed all of the do-backs and TIE Fighters, and then released the movie. Right. Um, though I really wish they would release that version. I keep putting up the petition and it never goes through. No, I feel like Disney's not going to put it out now until... Uh, Lucas is dead. Yes, Disney Disney apparently in in this narrative owns it because at one point there were dobacks and tie fighters. <laughs> um but okay, real quick, real quick before we get too far into this conversation, I guess we should maybe let everybody know that this month, maybe you maybe we talked about this on a previous show, yeah. but this month it's October, spooky spooky time, spooky Halloween time for spooky stuff. And so all month we're going to be talking about horror movies. We're going to be sharing horror movies with each other and we've got we've got them picked out. I don't want to spoil them. Yet, we yeah. can, but I don't want to. Spoilers are, spoilers are bad. <laughs> yeah, they're the Rob's, worst. robs you of discovery, and we like you all more than that to rob you of all of the riches of exploration. I, I think you're fine. Yeah, you're we're, fine. Good. we're good. Um, we're going we're gonna to get uh, at least one guest in here, but yeah, we're doing that all month long, and so this is where we're starting. And I'm real glad. I think this was actually your idea um, to start with Texas Chainsaw Massacre because you had never seen it, and it is probably one of my favorite movies that there is yeah um which sounds it sounds very weird if you're talking to somebody who's never seen it before they would be forgiven for going really that a movie called the texas chainsaw massacre is one of your favorite motion pictures of all time yes it is we'll get into the why i also want to talk a little bit about this entire series uh in in toto yeah because it's bonkers we, uh, I feel like this is the best episode to start all the horror stuff because it's number 13. Lucky number 13. Um, Stop it. Um, okay. But it does, it does uh, predate, predates Halloween by a, a handful of years. Halloween is the movie that I think tends to get the most credit for kicking off the slasher genre as we know it now. Um, although te- I mean, technically you could go all the way back to like Peeping Tom. Um, as like a true genesis point for the slasher concept. But as we know, especially leading us into the 80s where most of the iconic slasher characters and movies came from, 
yeah, Halloween, late 70s, but then Texas Chainsaw uh, a good few years before that, which makes, of that entire wave of like 70s and 80s screen boogeymen, actually makes Leatherface like the OG. You'd have to go back to like uh, uh, Norman Bates probably before that to yeah. come up with uh, such an iconic screen killer, like an instantly uh, iconic uh, film villain in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, appropriately enough, the source or the the point of inspiration for the two characters, Norman Bates and Leatherface, are the same. Are you familiar with Ed Gein? Um, yes, I've heard the name before. So Ed Gein was a super nasty dude. Ed Gein's whole thing was he was a uh, serial murderer and body snatcher. And uh, he, also known as the Butcher of Plainfield, he was uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, was where he normally uh, chilled and did his business. Uh-huh. But he would, adu- uh, he would abduct women. He would kill them. He would remove organs. He would use, he would almost, the way, the way people talk about if they're going to hunt, they're going to hunt humanely, and then they're going to honor the animal by using every part of them. Yeah. Same basic principle. He would kill these women, mutilate their bodies, and then he would take their bones, their skin, make decorations out of it, essentially. Now, there are only two women that we have, to the best of my knowledge, again, somebody out there is listening and probably goes, you're wrong on this, but as far as I know, only two women we've confirmed, solidly confirmed that yeah. he murdered. But if if you believe what I think he said at the time there could have been any number of others that they just didn't find. Yeah. But Ed Gein, there, I think there have since, there have been smaller movies that are directly based on the Ed Gein story, but Ed Gein and the methods by which he would execute, haha, execute his, <laughs> uh, his horrific acts, uh, bits have been pulled to inspire a whole swath of screen characters. Norman Bates, I mentioned, Leatherface, I mentioned, but even like uh, Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs, yeah. they're pulling a lot of, inspiration from the truly distressing Ed Gein story. Um, yeah, that was actually something that I had noticed in this movie where uh, the hitchhiker at the beginning mentions how they used to use every portion of the cow uh, to make the head cheese. And then later you find them doing that. Pause in real their quick. House. Head cheese was the original title for the movie. Oh, was it? Yes. I think at one point they thought about calling it Leatherface, which became the title of the third movie. But I think they were going to call it Leatherface at one point, And then I think it, for a while they were committed to calling it Head Cheese. Huh. Head Cheese gross, by the way. Yes. I'm going to, I know this may be a controversial stance to take publicly, but I'm going I'm to I'm say it. Go do it. I'm going to you... die on the hill of Head Cheese is gross. <laughs> I mean, conceptually, it sounds unobjectively disgusting. Um, I've never had some myself. Uh, I don't think I ever will. Uh, I mean, I feel like you'd have to go looking for it. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't, you don't walk over to like your fit. You don't walk into like Buffalo wild wings and look at the menu. and be like, Oh, you know what? I bet the head cheese is good here, but I bet it would be bet Buffalo it would be, wild wings. It'd be covered the best in place for wings. Yeah. It'd be covered in like barbecue sauce. Like, yeah. It would be like mesquite smoked Ooh. head cheese. That'd be tasty. I bet. See, I bet the Sawyer clan would love that, especially in part two, which we'll talk about because it's Bubba Bonkers where uh, the 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 cook, as he's known in uh, this one, he actually gets a name. He's uh, Drayton Sawyer. Yeah. Uh, but in this in this movie, this first movie, he's only known as the cook. But in the second one, he 
is like a regional uh he's like a regional champion for his barbecue uh-huh so it's appropriate yes so can i can we talk about this family for a little bit oh yes um so you mentioned that the in later uh i guess not episodes but later movies are like called leatherface or whatever but like i feel like leatherface himself was the least um like was the least of the focal points for this movie. Like I think the family as a whole was the most menacing part of it. Yes, it is absolutely the family as a whole. And I think it's interesting that, and it's, it's the look of Leatherface. I think that that's so instantly cemented him as iconic, but it's interesting if all you know about Leatherface is like the reputation of the character and how he's like this big ferocious monster. Like if, if you've only seen the 2003, uh, Michael Bay produced, remake yeah. you only look at that leather face it's like oh this this is basically just like a berserker rage machine bent on ripping you limb from limb just because he wants to and like eating your face off and drinking blood out of your neck just just for kicks because that's how he rolls yeah the original Leatherface, as played by uh, Gunnar Hansen, another major player from this movie that uh passed away that last year i believe in uh, 2016 um that's not who Leatherface is. Like, yes, Leatherface is the one that gets the killing done. Yeah. But especially in the first, like, the first big chunk where you see him where all of the kids are wandering into the house and getting off to one by one. Yeah. There is a moment, I think it's after the third, the third guy comes in where he kills him too. And he starts running around and, like, looking out the windows. Almost like, oh, my God, where are they all coming from? Where are they all, Who are these people? I got to, like, keep my house safe. I don't know where they're coming. I don't know how they're getting in. Like, yeah. what, the, what is happening? And he seems so like a, like a child. Mm-hmm. He seems so like an overgrown child. And even the real brutal stuff that he does in the movie, and he does, it, it doesn't feel like it's vicious, but it doesn't feel like it's... Is a weird thing to say, maybe, but it doesn't feel like it's evil in the way that the cook feels like he's evil. Yeah, um, it just feels like you're a child slash you're almost like a like a you're like a dog. You're like the family dog in yeah. a way. But he's completely he's he's childish. He's submissive. At dinner, when he puts on his fancy face uh-huh. and the suit, uh, he's so he's so submissive. Yeah, he's almost, he almost cowers before before the cook. Yeah, and I had read that uh, Gunner was able to kind of create the character how he wanted to, and it, it, in his perception, he viewed him as kind of emotionally and mentally stunted, yes. a little bit of like uh, handicapped in some way, didn't learn any like any form of speech, and so he went and hung out, uh, not hung out, but like he went and observed. Um, people uh, who were mentally handicapped and felt like he wanted to portray them as uh, non-offensively as possible. He got the thumbs up. He, he did a great job, but like that's, you can, you get that from his performance in that, like there's an innocence to it in that, like this is what he knows. And so he does what uh, he fulfills his role in the family, not maliciously, but just in the way that he knows how. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's essentially it. And I don't believe, given the story that we are presented with, I don't believe that Leatherface... Now, yes, he would still most likely be uh, mentally and emotionally stunted, but if he didn't have, say, the hitchhiker around or the cook around having him do all the the muscle work, all the dirty work, I don't know that I think he would be murdering all of these kids. Right. Um, And it seems like he was specifically trained... 
kind of like you said, like the family dog to like, if anyone wanders in, he has to take care of them. Yeah. Cause like when the cook comes back and he's like, did you get all the kids? Did you make sure they all uh, were taken care of? Like that seems to be his duty, which uh, is a bummer. Like if like, I feel like there's another version of this story where he's, you, you get all the like leather face childhood stuff where he's, he's more the victim in this whole situation. And isn't it, isn't it weird? Like you'd never think. And if you watch any other movie in the series, except I guess weirdly there are a couple moments in two, but if you watch any other movie in the series, you wouldn't think that there'd be anything sympathetic about Leatherface. Yeah. But oddly. Yeah. A little, yeah. a little. No, I mean, it's there. He undercuts it by murdering people with chainsaws. Sure, but you almost—it's like, wow! Like your your life could have just gone in a whole different non-murdery direction if you didn't have these jackasses around you. Yeah. Um, I mean, not—I don't think he'd be president of the United States, though. <laughs> I, I mean, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pivot real hard. Now let's as and, hard uh, as we can. Full uh, 90 degrees. Speaking of thumbs up, um, the hi- hitchhiker. <laughs> that was a good pivot. Thank you. Um, the Yes, I, I felt like the scene where they first pick him up. One, never pick, pick up a hitchhiker. No, well, just, to be fair, it was the 70s. They, didn't, they didn't know. They, they didn't should have, have known. They didn't have. To, uh, to be fair, though, I feel like. This whole idea that you have to be afraid of everybody because everybody is trying to kill you, most likely. Uh huh. That seems like a fairly recent thing as far as the level of pervasiveness that mentality has in our culture. Right. A and B were were early enough that there haven't been five thousand movies or TV shows where picking up a hitchhiker ends horribly for everybody involved. So I can almost see and like these kids are they're not idiots but i feel like these kids are portrayed and i and i like it they're they're portrayed as pretty they're nor, they're just they're kids they're not like heightened characters they're not even necessarily all that likable especially franklin yeah which is that's a weird dichotomy too because it's like immediately you feel sympathy for him because he's in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and he's like oh man I, I know this is one of them terror pictures and people are gonna die and this dude can't run like everybody else so you feel you he gets your sympathy immediately and then he starts talking yeah and it's just like oh God, this asshole. Um, <laughs> but they all feel they all feel like people. Yeah. And I, yes, you know what movie you're watching, but they don't know what movie they're in. Yeah. And so I can buy it. If it was set now, I'd go, no, nah, this seems wrong. They're really dumb. But because it's set when it's set and they all are a little dumb uh-huh. as depicted, I'm okay with it. Okay. But also if that doesn't happen, there's no movie. Right. No, well, technically, there's still a movie if that doesn't happen because they they go to the the gas station. But he, he well, okay, he marks their van when they kick him out, but they go to the house anyway. Right. So that you're right, that same shit probably would have happened. But uh I think my my red flag for this particular hitchhiker was the fact that he had like a a squirrel as a wallet. Well, so that would be the that would be the thing that I I think should have should have put them off. To right, it, for sure. If anything, you'd think and be like, no, let's somebody else. Let's somebody else pick this guy. Mm-hmm. Up. He'll get where he's going eventually. Yeah, if not he'll hang out with a little dead squirrel or something. <laughs> be great. Um, but then too, it's like as soon as you pull over and you see like he's immediately he's uh he's a weird he's yeah. a weird fella. It's a, uh, an odd townie. 
Um, and that whole that whole scene is so tense and so uncomfortable, even before it takes the turn where he like cuts his hand open. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so deeply uncomfortable. I do really love though, really like genuinely unironically love for reasons I'm not entirely clear on the song that's playing on the radio. In oh, that yeah. sequence, the dun, 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 <laughs> the sidewalk cafe, that song, yeah, love it, nice, drinking coffee, watching women, I like it, and it feels so, so light and mm-hmm. so the polar opposite of the tone of the rest of the movie, yeah, and it's happening this entire scene, like it's weird, it's weird, it's weird, and then it takes this turn and this song keeps going right it's like i like it yeah i feel like uh i don't know if the it was the movie's intention to draw this comparison but i felt like franklin and the hitchhiker had a, a somewhat somewhat similar traits especially as Franklin goes on like there's this moment um, retrospectively that he's like eating the after he eats the sausage, um, which we later realize is like people sausage um, that he's inside the old broken down house and he starts like like raspberrying his tongue uh, towards his sister in the same way that the hitchhiker was doing when they dropped him off. Yeah. Um, and it, it's like this implication that eating human flesh kind of makes you that way. And you start to see the, like the beginning pieces of it in Franklin. Uh, I'm not sure if that was intentional or not. Well, but. and they talk about how their, uh, their, uh, family is in like the slaughter business. Yeah. Um, and that's what like, they're going to check out, uh, because like their, what is it? Their, their, their grandfather, grandfather, yeah. these remains have been tampered with potentially exhumed and stolen, which yeah. is something else Ed Gein would do. He would sometimes make his decorations out of the parts from corpses. He exhumed himself. Interesting. Like your face was great. It's like, Hmm. Okie doke. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's like, they're going to check that out. And then they met, like we get a lot of, we actually get this idea of really, uh, expanded upon in a very on-the-nose way in the remake. Have you seen yeah. the remake? No. Okay, in a very on-the-nose way, which I haven't seen it in years and years, but I have recollections of Leatherface like chasing Jessica Biel li- literally through a slaughterhouse. Uh, I was like, I don't know that we needed this. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. I actually, I think, not that, look, I mean, no sequel or remake or sequel or prequel to a remake in this series is, is half the movie that the original is. I do think that the remake is unfairly maligned or the degree to which it is maligned is a bit unfair. Yeah. Cause it's, it, it depends on your taste though. Considering the title of the movie, Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. and considering how, how genuinely terrifying and harrowing a lot of these sequences are, it's actually not aggressively gory. Whereas, the remake is just gnarly as shit the entire like it just it's brutal like yeah. w- weirdly even though as we've been talking about leatherface does some brutal stuff in this movie it it, almost, it doesn't feel as brutal it feels like and i think it was just because we it's in the 70s you couldn't get away with quite as much at the time um the whole thing though in the remake just feels like <laughs> like relentless the whole time yeah blood and guts flying all over the place like yeah yeah but even even in this one like one of the most iconic kills in 
the entire movie is the first time you see Leatherface when he steps out into that doorway. Boom. Takes Homeboy out with the hammer. Yeah. Pulls him back in and like the twitch. Like you see the body do like a twitch mm-hmm. on the ground. And then Leatherface yanks him back and then boom, like pulls that sliding door closed. Yeah. It's all great. It's all powerful. It's all shocking. It's terrifying. But like you don't watch Homeboy skull cave in. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, and I feel like that's more effective in that, like, seeing him seizing on the ground shows that, like, he's he's both dying and in agony. And so it, it, like, is a relatable form of death as opposed to just seeing a cartoonish skull caving in into, like, a neck hole. Yes. Um, and I had read that Hooper wanted it to be, like, PG, like, PG, PG-13 didn't exist back then. Right. So he wanted it to be PG, but the uh, ratings people were pushing for an X, and so he had to, like, cut it to make it more, to make it so it just hit an R rating. Yes, and, and worth pointing out that when the movie was released, it was outright banned in several countries. Yeah. People were like, no, 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 you can, <laughs> you can keep this Texas picture with chainsaws. Um, Which, I, I guess... The thing about it isn't that it's gory, which is its point, but like it's just really unsettling because it's it's so it's such a predicament that you yourself could get into that like imagining yourself in the in the place of these kids is really uh, terrifying. Yes, and I think too we need to talk about the cinematography of this movie. I think this is a gorgeous movie i think and it's it's all factors i think it's it's cinematography i think it's production design but the way it is shot it has almost a pseudo documentary feel to it Hmm. which now maybe doesn't stand out quite as much because we live in an age where like there are ten thousand found footage movies so like this is shot in a way that makes it feel real is not maybe as novel as it once was but even if you try to it's like i always try when i watch something unless it's a sequel to something or unless i know that they're pulling big influences from a specific source i do my best to watch everything in like a mental vacuum yeah if you're able to distance yourself from the hundreds of thousands of movies across genres that have done a version of the same thing, it makes it that much more unsettling because mm-hmm. it is shot like this verite style that makes it feel so much more immediate and so much more real. Yeah. And this this becomes compounded when you realize how much of what you're seeing on screen is what is being depicted. Yeah. Uh, now, of course, Gunnar Hansen did not murder these kids, but... <laughs> A lot of the a lot of the production design, a lot of the the set design in the house, all the bone furniture, like that's all actual bones, like that's all animal bones. For mm-hmm. example, um, there's a sequence. So we'll talk about all of this in in greater detail. Uh, but jumping ahead, the dinner sequence, yeah, which is just so dang terrifying. Like it feel watching the scene, you feel like you are Sally, like you feel yourself going insane along with her. Um, there's a moment where she's supposed to have her finger cut mm-hmm. so that grandpa can drink the blood. They weren't getting, they couldn't get the blood effect to work. So they actually cut her finger with a razor. Oh, geez. Yeah. There are a couple of spots in the movie where the fake blood ain't fake. Yes. I, they really like Marilyn Burns, who also uh, passed away a couple of years ago. Um, she got, she got pretty beat up making this movie. Oh yeah. I, some of the, I had read that some of the scenes where she's running through the forest, the branches cut her up. So like when she gets out, the, the blood is real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is brutal. She, she got 
put through the ringer just for this movie. Oh yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't only her though. She definitely got the worst of it. But there's okay. So when um when Leatherface is going to take his chainsaw and decapitate uh Kirk, the William Bale character, um that was a real chainsaw, and they didn't really have they weren't really cheating it. Now obviously he didn't take the dude's head off, but yeah. it was basically okay. Don't move. Just don't move. Don't don't even breathe. Yeah. Real chainsaw right here. Don't move, uh, don't move. You'll die. Yeah. You will die. Like we have no. It's not a euphemism. You will you will literally <laughs> be decapitated if you move at all. Uh, I yes. Feel, they could have. I feel like they could have uh, done like they could have done something. They they didn't have to put that guy's face next to a chainsaw. <laughs> Probably not, but uh, I I know th- this was the type of thing that was happening on the set, right? And although Marilyn Burns got the worst of it, everybody I think involved in the movie on, uh, in front of the camera sustained some type of injury. Like Toby Hooper was joking, I think, at uh, the rap party. Not joking, I think it was more of just an observation that basically every cast member had had uh, some form of injury visited upon them. Yeah. And he said, uh, he said, quote, everyone hated me by the end of production and that, quote, it just took years for them to kind of cool off. <laughs> well, yeah, the dude who played the hitchhiker... Uh, Edwin Neal is Ed- his name. Yes, Edwin Neal um, was saying that like this shooting, specifically the dinner scene, was the worst experience of his life, and he was in Vietnam. Yeah. So, I mean, and I, I guess when I was reading about it, it's essentially most of the issue was that there was actual rotting food on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in the dead of the, the like hottest time in texas and that house is basically a pressure cooker especially it's not only not only that right like not only external temperature you can't run acs for sound uh you you have all the lights on you in the house so that yeah that's gotta be pretty unpleasant and then Uh, of course just how dark the scene is even if you're in the scene even if you're able to do your job and still keep a separation between i know i'm just an actor playing a role that's, that's a dark, disturbing scene. Oh, and then yeah. especially once they actually start cutting people's fingers open for real, how could you not start to go, like, we're in the upside down now? <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you not start to lose? I feel like it would be difficult to not slip into a little bit of temporary insanity. Yeah. I want to talk about this more. But before we do, I want to talk about some sweet, sweet iTunes reviews. Uh, that rhymed because that's how I do my life. Um, we got two great reviews, uh, two sweet, sweet five-star reviews. So remember, if you take the time and leave us a five-star rating, uh, we will read them here on this show, and everyone will hear your name and hear the great things you have to say about the show, and we will feel good on the inside because that's what we do. Our first one comes from A to Z Z Z Z Z Z Z Z Z. It's fun throughout discussion or fun thought out discussion. Can't read today. Five stars. Just started listening and I'm hooked. Covers a nice range of content. Music, movies, shows. Just has something for everyone. Thank you, A to Z Z Z Z Z Z. That's really nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. We got another one which is a doozy. It's it's a good, good podcast from Grindcat. Five stars. That's two goods. 
I know. That's that's it's, gooder than one good. It's too good. We got that we say. got that coveted two goods. Hell yeah. Grindcat says this podcast is excellent. I listened to all 12 episodes in the span of two days. Damn. Damn. Because I'm a podcast monster, and I must not allow myself to ever hear the sound of silence. They're just talking specifically about the Simon and Garfield Funkel song. Um, anything I can, it follows me. It follows me like a like a phantom. It's and true. I have to keep noise pumping into my. It's like Medusa. It's like when Medusa looks at you. Uh-huh. It's like if I hear even the the trickle of the guitar at the very beginning, uh-huh. I will turn to stone. Right. So I have to keep. I have to keep earbuds in like I'm like I'm baby from baby driver with the tinnitus yes I have to keep sound in my ear at all times a to function b so that the sweet sweet sounds of Simon and Garfunkel don't literally turn me to stone right and only the the hilarious podcastiness of missing out can ward it out for for long we do talk for for a while at a time at least an hour. At least an hour. And if you listen to all 12, that's 12 hours. That's a whole half day over a couple of days that you were spared being turned to stone. That's true. You're welcome. Uh, let's see. What else do they have to say? This show conveniently satiates the anime nerd, Lynch fan, and um, black person within my own self. It's a really specific cross-section. It is. But I'm actually really glad that we're hitting that because it's a really <laughs> specific cross-section. So yeah. I'm really glad that we're hitting that bullseye. We found our niche. Uh, <laughs> Tari and Lex are insightful and hilarious, and their enthusiasm is palatable? Is that the word I meant to use? Uh, yes, sure. because I'm a podcast monster. <laughs> Finally, I, I leave you with this. If wishes were fishes, then Aladdin, Wishmaster, and the monkey's paw would both be very different and equally hilarious conclusions. Think about it. Um, I guess he's right. Yeah. I, uh, I think that you, <laughs> I think you also, when I was like palatable, I was like, I don't think that is the word you meant to use. I think it was palpable, but I guess palatable means like it tastes good. Yeah. So like well, their enthusiasm tastes good to my soul. Also, well. It's better I, than head cheese. Can that be our new tagline? Missing yes. out. Better than head cheese. Uh, yes. That's how we're going to start every episode. <laughs> Welcome back to Missing Out. It's the retrospective that's better than head cheese. Ooh. Thanks for thanks, Grindcat, for our sweet, sweet new tagline. Uh, but ser- seriously, all kidding aside, uh, thank you for taking the time to write us a, a review, say some nice stuff about our show. We really appreciate it, yes, on a personal level, but it also helps us a lot. It helps bump us up uh, when people are searching for us. Yeah. And then when people do manage to find us, they don't look at the page and go, uh, a bunch of one stars. I'm not going to jump into this pool. This pool is full of sewage. So you're, you're helping us a lot. You're helping us a lot, and it means a lot. It makes us feel good. Thank you guys. We're really, I don't, I feel like I could speak for Tari yes. J as well. It makes us feel really good that you enjoy what we're doing. So thank you. Yes, we really appreciate it. Uh, one last thank you to A to Z, 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 and Grindcat. Keep eating this podcast up because it's the most palatable thing on the internet. Uh, that's it. Um, so you've, on a, a couple occasions in this one very show, have noted that uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of your favorite movies of all time. Now, for clarification, it's not like I keep a list. If you asked me, if we were just like hanging out and you asked me like, all right, what's your favorite movie? I'd go, oh God, there's there's so many, like on what, like it, it, it would vary, not just day to day, not even hour to hour. It might vary minute to minute because there are so many that come 
to mind. It's like it's only when I'm actively thinking about them do I go, oh, yeah, that like Jaws is one that always I can always like pull up really quickly. Yeah. Because Jaws is is Jaws and Crap. Have you seen Jaws? Um, no. Oh, sweet baby damn Jesus. We're going to do a Jaws show at some point because that <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's a fantastic movie. Um, like bulletproof. To me, it is a bulletproof movie the same yeah. way that Texas Chainsaw is a bulletproof movie. And it is so if you've never seen it, it's so so surprising because I don't think and again, you'd be forgiven for it. But I don't think you go in expecting something this well crafted. Mm-hmm. And it's very clearly being done for very little money. But it is, like I said, like just from uh, on an aesthetic level alone, it is so it, you it, you can feel the environment around yeah. these kids. Uh, production design, set dressing, incredible. The way it's shot, like I said, incredible. The way certain shots are framed, like when um, so like for example, that shot where Pam is approaching the house mm-hmm. and. And it's a super low angle, like almost like you're you're going through the grass, following her at, at a remove, and you see this giant house as she approaches it, and because you're shooting up, like she looks large in the frame, but the house is so massive, and it looms over her, almost like the house is a monster. Mm-hmm. And even if you've never seen the movie before, even if you were flipping channels and you you didn't have like the the guide thing on the bottom, and you know, so you didn't know what you were watching. You just watch, you, you know, you get a feeling like this house, something's up with this house just because of the way they frame it. And that shot is gorgeous. And it's, there's so many shots in this movie that are gorgeous. There was one, uh, now that you mention it, uh, where it's, it was such a simple shot, but it just stood out to me. It, 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 or I guess it was technically more of just like a camera movement where it's when they're first leaving the gas station and it, it, it follows the van uh, out as it's pulling away and it slowly pans back just enough to where you can see it pushing the other direction. And they also do it another time when they first arrive at the old Franklin house where essentially it's, it's kind of like a, a slow, empty uh, field of vision and slowly you reveal that like this is where they're moving into. And it kind of gives you a sense of the full, uh, I guess, as you said, the full environment that they're in and also just kind of like uh, immerses you in those like slow, solemn shots. Yes. Um, Yeah. Uh, Agree 100%. I guess if I, okay, so if I had to sum it up and put a a fine point on it, to me and why whenever I think about it, yes, I would list Texas Chainsaw Massacre among my favorite movies, however long that list may be. I feel like there's about 50 that I'd be like, yes, that's one of my favorites. There's too many of them that it even means anything anymore. But Mm -hmm. to me, it is a perfect movie. Now, by that, I don't mean it is a movie that will appeal to everybody equally. That, to me, is not what a perfect movie is. When I say perfect movie, it is a movie that I feel, and of course, there's, there's a large degree of subjectivity to this, but a movie that I feel is the best possible execution of what it is they were attempting to do. So much so that I, th- I think that probably factors into why some of the cast was able to eventually get over the terrors that they suffered on set, because it's it's a perfectly crafted thing. It is a perfect. It's like the optimum version of the thing that it is. Yeah, and it is so. Considering that, like, and again, I totally get why when you hear the title. If you've never seen it before, you're just like, oh, it's, it's another slasher movie. I mean this with the least possible amount of pretense. In fact, there is no, no matter how pretentious it sounds, I mean this er- very earnestly. It, it 
is a work of art in a way that very few slasher movies are even concerned with because they don't have to be right there. Nobody's looking to slasher movies to be art necessarily. They're looking to like go have a good time, watch kids like get naked and have sex and die. Um, interestingly too, like we don't get that much of that in this movie. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. There's really not anything in the way of like TNA business. There's oh, just no, a lot not of, at all. Just a lot of, I mean, unless you're really into bone furniture <laughs> or like unless you think the grandpa like sucking the blood is super hot. I mean, he was real into he it. He was going for it. Um, I mean, I think the only like I'm making real big air quotes like sexual thing is that like the, the girls weren't wearing bras. No, and the even 70s. then, like, yeah, that's what I was going to say is that like that's just a sign of the time. So like there's like you don't even see these who are presumably couples like they don't make out they don't do anything they just like hang out and and enjoy each other's company yeah i mean essentially like i didn't i barely even felt that there was much coupling happening like yes it's there right but we don't really pay it any mind we don't really make it a focus at any point yeah and and two another element that directly ties into that that we can we can use to piggyback is i think this movie is so so excellently paced, mm-hmm. and there's no there's no uh, chuffa in it. You know, there's no there's no fat. There's no there's no head cheese dripping off the sides. Oh no! It is it is a lean, mean, speedy piece of meat, and I think it's because we don't digress for 10, 15 minutes to tell a love story throughout. For example that ultimately means nothing because it's just there for them to die and be sad. Yeah. Um, we don't need it. We get enough information, uh, just watching them interact. We know it's a friend group. We know that like there's, there's probably the one couple and then the rest of it's like, you know, Sally and Franklin are siblings. The rest of it's not really that important. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be there. And it's not even that, you know, you don't spend enough time with all of these characters to form a super strong bond necessarily. And in the case of, again, like say Franklin, in fact, you spend just enough time with him that I don't think you want to develop that much of a bond with him. Right. Um, but they feel they feel real enough. They feel human enough. And we don't waste time with with a whole bunch of like needless exposition. We just keep everything moving. Right. Yeah. There's never a point at which you're not either uh, putting some like someone's not on their way to their next situation or someone's not tr- actively trying to escape the situation that they're in. Uh, I mean, maybe if, if you were to cut something out, maybe the peeing scene, but like, other than that, I mean, that just establishes that Franklin is in a wheelchair and that they're on a road trip. How are you going to cut out the pee scene? I mean, how I don't know if out, I needed it. How are you going to cut out the pee scene? Every, you know what? Every movie that has a pee scene needs to keep it. Every movie that doesn't have a pee scene, you get that done in reshoots. Oh, yeah, yeah, If yeah. there is not a pee scene in Justice League, I will walk out. Do you, know what else, do you know what else I think I'd watch, though? What? I want a movie where, because I assume that at some point, if they keep making Justice League movies, eventually they're going to fight Darkseid in some form. Yeah. Yeah, I'm probably there for that because that's, that's how I roll. But what I would pay good money right now to see is like a, a Leatherface versus Darkseid movie where they have a chainsaw duel. <laughs> um, I mean... I feel like Leatherface would die. Mm, no, he's got a, like a cosmic. He's got like the the anti matter omega sanction 
chainsaw. Oh, yes. Okay. Got it. Yeah. yeah so yeah, like yeah. when Darkseid, it's basically like a lightsaber. Right. So like when Darkseid fires his Omega beams out of his eyes, like Leatherface can just be like, block it. Uh-huh. It's going to be dope. That'd be nice. Is, I mean, that, is that the aspect you're hung up on or is it like just the notion of a chainsaw duel that you find too absurd? It's more the power differential is my biggest issue. So if we're erasing that by giving abilities to the chainsaw itself, yeah, then I'm, I'm down with it. You can get more on board. Um, but like I come from a, a DBZ power levels world sure. um, where, you know, a certain guy can't be over 9,000. Right. You got to uh, match that eight H yep. P um, that it is. I, no. What is it? It's like a it's like a key. I think level. HP is like a Pokemon thing. Um, HP, HP is and a PP. general RPG thing. It's hit, hit points, points, right? Yeah, and power so, points. Uh, yeah, PP power points. Yeah. Uh, so don't erase those PP scenes. Don't see. Oh, yeah. full circle. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, but so you're you're conceptually on board with the notion of a chainsaw duel. Yes, of course oh, I then am. you will dig Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two, in which Leatherface, no bullshit, has a chainsaw duel with Dennis Hopper. Interesting. Oh, it sure does happen. If I was going to do a chainsaw duel between uh, f- fictional characters, I feel like it would have to be Ash versus Leatherface. Wouldn't that be though. amazing? Yeah. Wouldn't, I would, I would I, honestly, I would move out of my apartment and live on the street for a year just so I could give all of the money I saved to that. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Like, at that point, what else could the world show me? I mean, no, that's the pinnacle of movies. That's it. Not only could you cancel movies, I could basically just lay down where I'm at and allow myself to die because there will be <laughs> nothing in this life that I can experience that matches the glory of Ash versus Leatherface. Yeah. And it surprises me that it never happened. They tried to do for a while after they did Freddy versus Jason. There was talk for a long time of a possible Freddy versus Jason versus Ash, yeah. which ne- of course never came to fruition. But I think... A handful of years ago, they did it as a comic book. Okay. But that's as close as we've gotten to to Leatherface. But it makes so much sense that, like, especially because Ash found himself in uh, Cabins in the Woods twice, if I remember correctly. More than twice. Um, more than twice. So if like, you include the, the Ash vs. Evil Dead TV show, like, it right. seems like every other week he ends up at a cabin. So why couldn't one of those cabins be next to... Be the Sawyer House. The Sawyer House, yeah. Next to? Why can't it be the Sawyer House? <laughs> so he just walks in and he's like, I guess this is the cabin I'm staying in now. Um, I mean, I guess that could happen. That's how these kids ended up there. Um, that Speaking of, I had such an issue with them just like walking into these strangers' houses, especially after... The guy at the gas station was like, don't be walking by people's houses. They'll show you they don't like that. And then they're like, I'm just going to walk into this. I know. Blah, blah, blah. 70s. Blah, blah, yeah, blah. 70s. Here, blah, blah, blah. But like, it's still rude. Oh, it's still. It's still. I mean, they didn't break in. So it's not really breaking and entering. But it's definitely entering without consent of the homeowner. Right. But they tried to. This is this is a horror movie thing that, again, it's like it probably seemed less. What the hell? at the time than it does now and we've seen it so many times and we know we know what movie they're in and we know how bad an idea this is yeah but they they knocked they tried they're like hello is anybody there and then they like open the door and they're walking around like they're trying to find somebody yeah you should do it from outside if you don't live there right but they were they were like an earnest looking for somebody and and presumably if they found somebody who wasn't Leatherface that person would be like oh, oh you what are you doing in my house and they'd be like oh I'm so sorry 
and they defuse it. Yeah. But instead, Leatherface hits him in the head with a hammer. Right. Um, which, which again, to be fair, like, it seems in a way like the movie agrees with what you're saying because they do wander into this house that's not theirs that they have no business being in. Yeah. And Leatherface, like, basically the big family dog, is like, what, what the shit? And, like, is startled and kills them all. <laughs> yeah. So, like, they, they get their comeuppance for doing that thing that they probably shouldn't do, which which makes so much more sense than this, like, horror movie trope of, like, if you have sex, you die. Yeah. There's nothing, like, why why are we demonizing? I mean, I guess if we do that in America, but, like, it makes less sense to me to demonize sex in a way that suggests they deserve to die for that yeah. than this does. This actually makes... More, not not that it's great that Leatherface kills a bunch of people, but this makes more sense. This actually seems more logically motivated. Right. Um, because at this point, they're basically Goldilocks, but the bears are still there. <laughs> and the bears actually eat people. Yes. Right. Yeah, no porridge. And if they have porridge, it's people porridge. Yes. The worst porridge ever. And I feel like it would be really bland. Probably. And then if there was any like bite that had a little bit of a kick to it, you'd be horrified. <laughs> like whatever it is, is like, I shouldn't, this, I shouldn't eat this. Yeah. It's like the, the extra spice is human bile. Yeah. Mm. Probably. Vile bile. This episode is brought to you by Vile's Biles. That's it. Is that that's our, the whole, is that new, that's that the new whole sponsor. Yep. Before we talk about the rest of this series as a whole, and it's, of course, it's large, in doing so, it's largely to compare the other movies to this one. Uh, I want to talk about basically the last section yeah. of this movie, like everything from Sally busting out, uh-huh. the bit with the the like big like the the Mariah truck and the truck driver and like Leatherface chasing after her. Like yeah. I want to talk about that entire sequence because that's the sequence. Everything from her busting through the window to basically the very end of the movie. Yeah. That's like the clip. Whenever somebody's like, and now a clip, a terrifying sequence from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then when Leatherface in the in the fancy dinnerware, right. like, and now the sun's up again, uh, busts through the door with the chainsaw and chases after her. Yes, got it. And then like gets himself in the leg when he falls down. Mm-hmm. The hitchhiker gets obliterated by the truck. And then... Uh, like she's able to escape, right? And you get this this ending where it's like uh, uh, Marilyn Burns as Sally, like she's doing this uh, really disturbing, like scream, cry, oh, the laugh. laugh, and it's deeply disturbing. And and I think some people might react to it in a way that's like, what a weird, like almost like, well, that's not a it's not a good performance. That's so weird. And to that, I would say, you spend a night like that. <laughs> and you tell me how normal your behavior is the next day. You tell me how like cool and like uh, refined your behavior is the next day. Right. It was so it was so disturbing and in my opinion so tremendously effective because it truly did feel like a woman who had completely cracked. Right. Well, yeah, because she spent that whole sequence like even like I guess starting before that part into the, the starting at the dinner table where she's essentially begging for her life. And she's, she's going like, just, just let, just kill me. Just, just let me die. And everyone's just laughing in her face about it. Um, and then from that to go from that to um, her jumping out of a window for the second time in a night um, and running for her life with someone for the second time in a night, 
chasing her with a chainsaw only to have like, that like that's like the worst double shift right imaginable ah oh, man and then to have someone like the first uh the first truck driver be completely useless and then the second one only save her <laughs> by the skin of her hair just runs away right and he like like he man like he could have driven the car away. Yeah, why did he not drive the truck away? Because not only not only are you getting away more slowly, not only are you far more vulnerable on foot than in that truck, but like isn't that your job? Like isn't <laughs> yeah. somebody going to be really mad at you if you just leave that truck there? Also not for nothing, at some point you will have to go back for that truck presumably. Right. And dude's still on the road doing his chainsaw dance. Yeah. So why wouldn't you just drive away the first time? Yeah, it's not like he like chainsawed the the wheels and you're like, oh, I get it. It's he, just the door, right? You could drive that away with the with the messed up door. Yeah, but I guess the guy was just so freaked out and he's like, I'm gonna hit him with a wrench, uh, which was somewhat effective. He knocked him over. Yeah, and he like messed up his own leg, and you got that sweet sweet Leatherface leg meat popping out, <laughs> almost like a Ooh. like a tauntaun. Yeah. I bet he's smellier on the inside. That's not the line. No. It doesn't matter. No, it's definitely um, not. That's definitely <laughs> Although it's technically true, the Tauntauns do smell worse on the inside. Uh, yeah, and I, I did like that fallible moment, which, again, adds to Leatherface's, like, I guess, relatability slash humanity. Well, he is he is so much more... If we're, ta- look, if we're talking about, like, the pantheon of famous uh, 70s and 80s screen slashers, we're talking, yes, Leatherface, but we're talking like Michael Myers, uh, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger. I would lump Chucky in. I'm a big fan. Chucky's that boy. Yeah. Um, but out of all of them, Leatherface, in my opinion, is far and away the most human. Yeah. Like, Freddy Krueger was a human at one point before he became like a burnt-ass supernatural dream demon. Mm-hmm. But he was also a child rapist and murderer. Hashtag dreamin'. Hashtag, hashtag dream. Oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Michael Myers, as depicted, is, is basically just evil embodied. Right. Pure evil. Nothing humane about it. That's why in the in the credits, he's referred to as the shape. He's not even called, in the original movie, he's not even, they call him, of course, Michael in the movie, but he's credited as the shape. Um, Jason, closer, more so Jason and Leatherface actually have a, a, a certain elements in common as far as being uh, essentially an overgrown child. Yeah. Um, who is acting at the behest of a parent figure. Uh, Jason, Jason's uh, business, I was going to like say quest, vendetta. It's not so much he's got a mission. He just likes murder. Yeah. Um, but it's it, largely in retaliation to seeing his mother killed. And then he just keeps coming back and back and back because eventually he's magic basically. Right. Um, but it starts with like, he was a child that was allowed to die. His mother takes vengeance and then he, his mother is killed. And then he comes back to essentially avenge his mother, um, which is not how I would approach that personally, but you, you could get it. You could almost track the weird logic, even though Jason is this mute hulking monster. Yeah. Um, Chucky's awesome. That's all I got. But but Chucky <laughs> Chucky is is a cartoon character. You know what I mean? Like that's for me. That's always been part of the appeal of the Child's Play movies. Yeah, we could do a whole show just on those because I actually think it is one of the most consistent slasher series that there is in terms of in terms of quality, but also in terms of they just did the seventh one, yeah. and it still feels like they're finding new ways to spin it, mm-hmm. which I think is really impressive. And that's why it's like it's one of the only, if not like the only, no, it is the only franchise of the ones that i just listed that has never had a full like reset point being (laughs) 
he's a cartoon character, which has always been part of the appeal, but I would argue that, yes, Leatherface still has a great deal more humanity to him than, say, Chucky does. Right. Even though Chucky was a dude once. Um, you get the impression, or I get the impression, like all of these other characters that I've listed really dig murder. I feel like Leatherface isn't really into murder. It's more just... It's a job. It's his job, basically. Yeah. And it's not something... It's probably, like we were talking about before, it's probably not something that he would pick for himself. But he feels the whole movie... You talked about like how, how interesting it is to see that moment of vulnerability. I think the whole movie, Leatherface is depicted as being incredibly vulnerable, despite his size, despite his strength, despite the fact that he successfully kills the crap out of a bunch of people. He's never depicted even as as intentionally malevolent he's always acting he's reacting more than he is acting yeah he's acting out of fear out of uh he just gets super defensive he gets scared and then he literally you know cowers around members of his family and then you get that moment where he's actually hit with the wrench and then poor poor guy can't catch a break he like accidentally saws himself (laughs) what a bummer i know it's real sad but then, but then his leg is clearly fine because he gets up and he does the the now, of course, super iconic chainsaw dance, which yes was Gunnar Hansen flinging a real live chainsaw around, <laughs> and it was a combination of like how can I do this in a way where I don't kill myself, yeah. and how close can we get with the camera without me destroying either the camera or the camera person, right? Um, we're running short on time. Are we? We are. Dang, I haven't even talked about any of the other movies in this series. Oh shit! I guess we're gonna have to watch them unless you want to do a quick run through. Okay, let's let's do let's do a quick one. Okay, so uh, I'll count as I go because I forget. I know them all, but I forget off the top of my head uh, how many. But we're gonna do the count. So, uh, just about a full ten years later, Toby Hooper came back with Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two, which is not a straightforward horror movie. It's a super super weird black comedy. Uh, Leatherface is a different I can't uh, I'm blanking on the actor that played Leatherface in part two Uh, Jim Cito comes back as the cook who now has a name he's called Drayton Sawyer they don't live at that house anymore they basically live at a weird like underground scary theme park Uh, Grandpa's still around they bring in Bill Mosley as a character called Chop Top who is another family member they're basically he's there to replace the hitchhiker uh, but he, I guess, was like off serving in Vietnam when the first movie was happening. Uh-huh. He comes back. He's got a metal plate in his head that he's always scratching at with a hanger. Uh, and it's basically it's about it's about a couple of things, but the two main plots are about uh, the family terrorizing a uh, a DJ, female DJ, play, named Stretch, played by Carolyn Williams, uh, who's great in it. And the other plot is Dennis Hopper plays a sheriff who is the uncle of Sally and Franklin who is seeking revenge against the family for the death of his uh, for his nephew. And I forget, maybe it's like Sally went crazy. I forget exactly how they address uh, Sally. I'm sure they do, but I forget specifically how they address it. Yeah. Um, but so he's on a, a vendetta against them. And it culminates uh, partially in an actual chainsaw duel between Leatherface and Dennis Hopper, which... If, if you don't watch the movie, and it's fun, it's not like, it's not the first one uh, in terms of quality necessarily. I have a blast when I watch it, but yeah. if you watch no other part of the movie, check out Leatherface fighting Dennis Hopper with a chainsaw. But to give you an idea of the tone of this movie, 
the one sheet, the poster, yeah, was, uh, and again, think about the tone of the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Think about if you can picture the one sheet, which is just the big tagline, who will survive and what will be left of them. And then you see Leatherface with the saw and it's, it's terrifying and it's played totally straight. Yeah. The one sheet for part two was the family, the Sawyer family, replicating the poster image, the one sheet, the key art for Breakfast Club. Really? And the tagline was, after a decade of silence, the buzz is back. <laughs> that's that's the tone that we're hitting in part two. It's fun. It's not, uh, it is not quite uh, of the same caliber as the first one, but it's worth checking out because it's so dang weird. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's two. Three is, uh, it's called Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre part three. I don't have a real strong memory of this one. It, I don't remember it being very good, but it does have Ken Forey in it, and it does have a uh, relatively early turn by Viggo Mortensen, who is the, if I'm remembering correctly, he's the character in the movie that, like, they trust him, but he's secretly working with the family, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Number four, uh, now, uh, I believe, uh, officially titled Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, was uh, it, it and like also to uh, brief digression three even two has very little even though you've got some characters coming back and references to the original not a whole lot in the way of continuity yeah three and four even less so uh, it's basically like you're not even watching the same family anymore um, but four next generation stars Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey really yes and was infamously uh, buried, or at the very least, their reps aggressively tried to have the movie buried. That's about the most noteworthy thing about it. Interesting. It's rough. Is it because Matthew McConaughey is from Texas and he didn't want to mess with Texas? No, I think it's because they realized that these people actually had potential for big careers and it was probably better <laughs> for them if that movie didn't come out at that time. Uh, that, I think, was early 90s, too. And then you get to 2003... And you get to, uh, I believe, Marcus Nispel was the director of the Michael Bay Platinum Dunes one, which, again, like I said way earlier in this conversation, I think is unfairly maligned. But I also think they they do they expand on things needlessly, mm. uh, like like we were talking about. There's no they don't labor like uh, they don't shoehorn in a romance, for example, in the original. In the remake, there's like a whole subplot about how Jessica Biel's boyfriend was going to propose and then gets his face cut off. Um, and it's like, we don't need any of that. The the incredible, like the, the mood uh, setting at the very beginning of the original movie where you see just like you almost don't even know what you're looking at. You're looking at bones. You're looking at like rotting flesh, body parts maybe. Mm-hmm. But you're only getting it in flashes and you just get the flash and the sound of the of the camera right and it's so unsettling and it creates this effect it almost sounds like uh uh flies like mm-hmm. buzzing over uh carrion um that becomes a whole prologue in the remake which seems unnecessary they do bring back we haven't mentioned uh john larroquette as yeah. the narrator they got him back for the remake um but then because the remake did well they did uh, it was like Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning, which mm-hmm. is a prequel to the remake. Also, sidebar, for whatever reason, they are not called the Sawyers in the remake and the remake prequel. They are the Hewitts. Why? Dunno. Okay. Uh, Arlie Ermey, though, is the is the, like the patriarch of the family, and he's a lot of fun in both of them. Um, then they did Texas Chainsaw 3D, which 
had nothing to do with the remake or the remake prequel, but was intended to be a sequel to the original movie and opens with a recreation of the final sequence with Leatherface chasing Sally out of the house. Yeah. Uh, Bill Mosley, who plays Chop Top in part two, played the cook in those sequences because Jim Sadow had, had long since passed away. Right. Don't remember very much of it. I saw it. Don't remember very much of it. I don't think the timeline makes much sense at all. Um, and that was it until super recently where they've released another prequel that I think has nothing whatsoever to do with the remake, the remake prequel, the late stage 3D sequel to the original movie, any of the two sequels that everybody ignores or whatever. So it's a, I have, this one I haven't seen and it got shelved for a little bit and it just recently saw the light of day. Yeah. It's like it's kids who escape from an asylum and one of them grows up to be Leatherface, but you don't know which one. Is what I is what I've read. Okay, and so I guess part of the journey of the movie is watching all of these disturbed kids, knowing that one of them is going to grow into Leatherface, and I guess figuring out who it is and seeing how it happens could be interesting. I know Stephen Dorff is an angry sheriff person in it. <laughs> cool, and that's all I know about it. Um, but we know that that Leatherface is part of a family, so I don't understand how that works. I mean, like you could retcon if if you're even worried about continuity and lining up with the first movie, which it really seems like nobody is. Uh, you could retcon any maybe he was adopted or maybe whatever. Maybe like he was thrown into the asylum and reunites with his actual family. You could like do any number of bend over backwards retcon tricks if you wanted. I don't know if they do. I haven't seen it. I just I feel like it it ruins that that concept ruins uh, like the established motivations of both the family and Leatherface and that this was a whole family that was like cannibalism. That's dope. But like, if you uh, have, have this guy as part of a family that would have put him in an asylum that like, well, I would assume in, in that context, they wouldn't put him in the asylum. He would have been like grabbed and taken by authorities. Maybe, maybe, but also too, it, it's the same problem you run into anytime you make, there are so few good prequels, and in my opinion, a prequel to a horror story featuring an iconic character is an objectively bad idea. Right. Because by explaining their origin, you rob them of a lot of mystery. By robbing them of a lot of mystery, you rob them of a great deal of the terror factor, and thereby stripping them of a great deal of their power yeah. as a figure of menace within the story. I get why studios are inclined to do this. Spoilers, it's for money. But there is there is very little in the way of an actual artistic reason to do that, and in fact, far more often than not, you end up you end up just stepping on the dick of the original movie. Right. Like you you do like try try go go watch the Star Wars movies one through six in numerical order, mm -hmm. and tell me how intimidating Darth Vader is when you get to four five six. <laughs> And it's just, but it's the same basic principle. If yes. you explain every part of where this monster came from, there it's not possible to find them as scary. Even if you wouldn't want to have dinner with them, you, they lose so much of that power. It is what you don't see that is always scarier than what you do see, and that doesn't necessarily only apply to what you can see with your eyes. Yeah. What you can perceive is always less scary than what you are unable to perceive. But the bigger, more significant point is that I think... A lot of a lot of people, I actually think it's the vast majority of people, um, feel like they need to know, like they can't stand not knowing. Yeah. 
And I want to just encourage where, where everybody listening and like everybody that I can like put this in their ear. I try to. It's like sometimes it's so much more rewarding. In fact, frequently, almost always, it is far more rewarding to embrace the mystery because by opening it actually reminds me there's a song that uh, Joss Whedon wrote for I think it was for not Dr. Horrible, but for the musical commentary to Dr. Horrible. And uh-huh. it's called Heartbroken. And it's all about this obsessive tendency people have to take a story and pick it apart to death yeah. to try and fill in every blank, explain everything, strip away all ambiguity, all mystery. And in doing so, they completely kill it. Right. Um, I would recommend to just YouTube that because it's actually it's it's clever and I think it makes the point exceptionally well. In my opinion, not knowing is usually a more fulfilling thing than knowing. Because, yeah, once you... That's my concern now with the amount of Star Wars stuff that we're seeing. And although, yes, I'm there for it. Whatever they make. If it's two hours of Darth Vader pooping, I'm going to go see it. <laughs> and Don't lie. You are too. You're going to go see it. I'm mostly um, intrigued. But I mean, not just you. Like, if you're listening to this, don't lie. You're going to go see that movie if they make it. Um, but my concern too is, like, we're doing everything that's been announced as much as look, I liked rogue one. A lot of people didn't. I did. Uh, and I was really excited for the Han Solo movie when Lord and Miller were on it. Now they're not, but point being everything that's been announced is like direct prequels about people or stuff we know about. Right. And I'm wondering like, what is the, I know what the purpose is. Spoilers. It's money. But (gasps) why would you make your entire universe that small? And why would you strip away everything that is left to the audience's imagination why would you strip away everything that makes that universe feel so much bigger and so much uh more vast and, and so full of possibilities yeah uh and and much the same applies to whenever there is a, a prequel again there are exceptions not that many i would have to sit here and think for a while to come up with a few and especially in the case of uh, like again over explaining the origin of a screen villain you're 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 killing it. You're killing the entire concept. Um, having said all of that, now all I can think about is a uh, uh, franchise combination, something like a Tatooine Chainsaw Massacre, Ooh. and oh good God. Same, remember what I said before about uh, Ash versus Leatherface, about yeah. how like I'd move out and use all that money I saved to throw it at that? Same same thing. Oh. I'd probably actually force you to move out too and take your money and pump it into that. I'm sure. I'm sure you could convince me. You just need like a, I don't know, 15 or higher Plus whatever your uh, your wisdom modifier is. But like seriously, can you imagine? Can you imagine like you wander into the big palace, and you're looking around and you're like, "Hello, is anybody here?" And then you turn a corner and all of a sudden it's like Jabba the Hutt wearing Greedo's face, slithering at you with a chainsaw. Like, come on, <laughs> come on, tell me you wouldn't pay good money to see that. I'd pay. I don't know if I'd pay good money. I'd pay some money. All right, all right, all right. We'll take it. We'll take it. Then we're gonna show you a sizzle reel, and you'll be like, "Take it all." Do you want me to open a vein? Let's go. Good. Yeah. Uh, as the moment that you send me proof of concept, I'll let you know if I'm on board. All right. Um, up until then, uh, where can the audience find you, Lex? <laughs> um, they can find me either in the kitchen of the Sawyer House or all over social media at the Lex Michael. Awesome. And you can find me at Tari J, but you can find the show as a whole on Twitter at Missing Out. Uh, nope, it's Missing Out Cast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. 
Um, and if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, what's the most convenient way to keep listening to this? Well, iTunes is the best way. Uh, Google Play if you have one of them dope Android phones. Um, and uh, potentially some other places we've uh, put in some some uh, applications to get in other platforms. So we're just going to make this the most convenient podcast you've ever cast. You're not going to be able to get away from us at a certain point. It's true. We're going to be like... Leatherface with our chainsaw jokes. It's gonna be like the Tari Jane saw massacre. Hell yeah! That's okay. a that's a good bottom we hit. <laughs> All right, bye. <laughs>